ופחדו ויסיני. ‫כיסו היום ויען afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining today. Today, <laughs> we're going to learn about a fantastic fear of everything. The things that we will talk about today are actually fairly straightforward. Much of it is quite logical, but there's an element of faith that will embrace the entirety of this message. It's going to be a journey. I invite you to come along. It's not going to be a quick fix. The material we're studying is far too precious, far too nuanced, and far too precise to gloss over. So with your permission, we will take it slowly, word by word, sentence by sentence, idea by idea, as we proceed in our own personal journey of learning how and why we'd be best off developing real betachen, real powerful trust in Hashem. For it shall give us the inner solitude, tranquility, peace, calm, no anxiety, and yeah, the happiness that we all crave. With that little preface, please join me as Rabbeinu Bechaya begins to go into the third and we'll probably move into the fourth contrast of the alchemist and the person of faith. As we've discussed in previous episodes, the alchemist is a, a parable, a legendary metaphor, if you will. It's not to be taken literally, but in every time and in virtually every place, there are people with get-rich-quick schemes. There are those who assume that if only they'd crack the secret code to success, they'd find the wealth, the affluence, the riches and the plenty that they crave, and they'd have happiness and inner peace and tranquility. And they'd rid themselves of worries and anxieties because doesn't everybody worry about paying their bills? And isn't financial security the single biggest stress that most people deal with? The answer probably is yes. However, finding that success and having that money isn't going to wipe the slate clean insofar as worries and anxieties are concerned. In fact, the Mishnah tells us, having many residuals increases one's level of worry and concern. You become only more anxious, you have more to lose. The real clear way to rid yourself of anxiety forever is to follow Rabbeinu Bechaya as he charts the path forward to developing and achieving betochen. But Rabbeinu Bechaya is now still in the preface and we're developing the profundity of betochen, the idea of the power that this absolute trust in Hashem is able to bring to the fore. So I want to read this in its Hebrew original. If you're following along in the 
Kihat version. You can follow, you can uh, learn together with me. We're going to be on page 17. As I've done in the past, I'm going to translate it by myself. So if it doesn't exactly jive with the English, that's okay. I think that it's valuable for you to have a text in front of you because it enables you to kind of move with me together, even if we aren't literally word for word on the same page at the same moment. Vahashlishi. The third argument that Abbeinu Bachaya will now set forth with regard to the notion of betochen. Contrasting the alchemist with this proverbial person of faith. Kibal hachimia, because the master alchemist who has developed this secret to unlocking success, he can turn ordinary metals into precious metals and semi-precious metals into extremely expensive metals like iron into silver and silver into gold. So this Balachamia has a, he's got the roads paved to success. He'll never have to worry about where his next dollar comes from, right? After all, he can easily create as much money as he needs. Rabbeinu Bechaya says, Eino ma'amin al-sodo. Now this is a really interesting word that's being used, and I hate to repeat myself, but in case you haven't been watching the previous episodes, Rabbeinu Bechaya did not write his remarkable work on Bitochen in Hebrew. He wrote it in Hebraized Arabic. This is translated by one of Maimonides' disciples, the great Rabbi Ibn Tibbin. So Rabbi Ibn Tibbin uses the Hebrew poetic syntax of his day, and we believe that he was a very, very erudite and, and deeply thoughtful scholar. He, he was a master translator. So I don't know the word that Rabbeinu Bechayi originally used, but it's fascinating that he talks about faith. The word ma'amin comes from the same root as emunah, as faith. Eino ma'amin al-sodo zulato. It reads strangely, literally. He doesn't believe upon his secret to another. Okay, what does that mean? So thankfully we have the commentaries. People are much smarter than you and I who spent many hours poring over the words of the Shara Betochen and trying to make sense of all the sentences because some of the, some of the syntax is slightly, I guess, dated. The Marpala Nefesh says that the meaning of Eino Ma'amin al-Sodo, Ratzol Lomar, what he means to say in other words is, Eino Ma'amin, he doesn't believe in others, which in English would probably read he doesn't trust others, Legalot Sod melachtola zulato. He's not comfortable sharing his secrets. He's got trade secrets. He's got the ability to generate this wealth in a remarkable fashion. He's afraid to share it with others. Why is he afraid to share it with others? Well, if his secret gets out, then he will have nothing of value. Then everybody can do the same thing. And once everybody knows the secret, he loses his advantage. If everybody can turn iron into gold, well, then the market will be flooded with this counterfeit gold and there'll be no supply and demand. And as such, the alchemist loses his success.
the Marpala Nefesh says, he's afraid la'acherim, he's afraid, he doesn't trust others. Machmat yirato, as a result of his fear, meaning he can't trust others with his secret. Simply stated, he's a person who doesn't trust those around him. He's ever concerned that somebody will discover his secret, or even worse, spill the secrets to the public. So you're dealing with a person who doesn't trust those around him. That's not a comfortable way to live. To live with a deep distrust of everybody around you can't be comfortable. Let's take a look in the commentary known as Pat Lechem. He says, and I read to you, I quote, Mepnei shehu yarei sheyigola al yodo. He's afraid of others. Not because he's necessarily afraid that somebody will replicate what he's doing or that that could even be a problem. He's not worried about one person. He's worried about the general public. And here the Patlechem invokes a Talmudic maxim. The Chavroch Chavro Islay, your friend. Yeah, he's also got a one really good friend. Everybody's got one friend or two friends, maybe three or four. They don't, they don't tell many people, just tell a few. So you say, how'd my secret get out? I, I just shared it with one person. True. And he also just shared it with one person. <laughs> and they just shared it with one person more. And all of a sudden, everybody knows. Years ago, my wife and I had to deal with a, an awful situation, a family crisis. And in their deep angst and frustration, one of the members of this family posted something on Facebook. And before you knew it, the whole neighborhood was talking about this crisis. And this individual says to my wife, I don't understand. I didn't even tell anybody. And my wife says, you didn't tell anybody? She says, no, I just posted it on Facebook. <laughs> In all seriousness, of course it got out. Everybody just tells one person. I'm not even talking about posting or tweeting or, 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 or creating some kind of status. The reality is, as they say, a secret is best kept with yourself. If, you're, if you want your secret to get out, all you have to do is tell one person. Nobody really knows how to keep a secret. Or I should say very few people know how to keep a secret. As the Paslechem puts it, here's a person who's got a secret. He doesn't want anybody else to know his secret. If the information gets out, he's toast. He doesn't bring any more value to the table. As such, because he's discovered the secret, he now becomes the keeper of the secret. And he doesn't trust anybody. Now, people who don't trust anybody, people who are afraid to share things with other people, how do you think, how do you think their social standing develops as a result of them being distrustful? The answer is it doesn't develop, it diminishes. People like this, invariably, 
become loners. Being a loner is not a comfortable state of being. It's not a happy place to be. And therefore, who badad? He's alone. So I say, well, some people like to be alone. Some people are happiest when they're left not being bothered. The Paslechem says, you did want to achieve success, though, didn't you? Well, of course. You always will benefit from the advice or input of another. As the Paslechem finishes, bevadai. It is a given, self-understood. Toivim hashnayim. As the Talmud puts it, two heads are always better than one. So a person who's distrustful, who's not able to openly have conversation with others, won't be able to effectively solve the challenges or the proverbial problems that come his way. So whilst he's discovered the secret to success, along with that comes many inhibitors to success. And whilst he should be easily able to pay his bills, he now has to live with the added anxiety and the fearfulness that somebody's always looking over his shoulder. Is that the inner peace you wanted? Is that the tranquility that you craved? Now, from the per- perspective of the, of the uh, Marpel and Nefesh and the Paslechem, he isn't really afraid of anybody doing anything bad to him. He's just afraid of his secret being blown. However, there are an additional two commentaries who seem to understand the words of Rabbeinu Bechaya in somewhat different fashion. Rabbeinu Bechaya continues to say, I'm back in the text of the actual Shara Betochen. He doesn't trust anybody with his secret Zulato. Meirato al nafsho. He's afraid for his life. That's literally the meaning of Meirato al nafsho. And, and here, it's a little bit odd because why would he be afraid for his life? Unless we say this is a euphemism. His life is his livelihood. He's afraid of his life as in his livelihood. However, in the commentary, Neder Bakodesh, he reads this a little bit differently. He says, Zulato, the other means Lizulato. He's afraid of telling it to somebody else. Why? Ah, Ratzaloimar. That's what he means to say, Shemityore al Nafsho. He actually is afraid for his life. Shema Yitchayev Roshalamelech, lest he be found guilty in the eyes of government or the monarchy. Now this is a euphemism. It's a Hebraic euphemism. It's found also in Old Arabic and various other old languages, languages from antiquity, where people lived in absolute monarchies. And if you crossed the monarch, you usually ended up having your head separated from your shoulders. So the euphemism became Yitchayev berosho, you'll be obligated, or you'll have to pay with your head. As in the expression, off with your head. In other words, from the Neder Bakodesh's perspective, there seems to be some activity that the alchemist is engaged with, 
which maybe is uh, somewhat criminal. Or if it's not outright criminal, it could be interpreted as such. So perhaps there isn't a law that out- outlaws or, or bans alchemy, let's say, for example. And yet, the monarch who is essentially given free reign over life and death can say, hey, this guy is messing with the economy. He's going to flood the market with fake gold. Off with his head. Is that far-fetched? Maybe. It's the fear the alchemist is living with. I'll conclude with the words of the Tov Halavanon, who really, I guess, kind of articulates or fully develops this idea. And he says, and I quote, He's afraid to tell anybody what he does for a living. Why is he afraid of telling people what he does for a living? Tell him you're a chemist. He says, you know why? So he won't become punished by the powers to be, by the monarch. Because at the end of the day, He's involved in a form of counterfeiting. He isn't counterfeiting money, but he's counterfeiting the material of which the money or currency might be made. Maybe he isn't producing fake gold, but it isn't natural. And it could be viewed as such. And whenever you're in the business of counterfeiting, even if the knockoff is better than the original, you have placed yourself in a certain danger. Now, how does this translate into our day and age? I think we have to be a little bit like um, imaginative. Alchemy is not literal and certainly shouldn't be taken as such. It's meant euphemistically. It's, it's, it's presented as, as a parable. And the things that people might discover might be just a tad questionable from a perspective of the law. Maybe the government will tax you inordinately. Maybe you're using tax shelters that you didn't want other people to know about. Invariably, there are a lot of gray areas. And many people who are in business flirt with the gray area. They're not squarely in the black, as they say, or in the white. And because things aren't black and white, And because there's always a possibility of things being called into question, there's a concern. So whether we take it in the manner of the Marpel and Nefesh and Paslechem, is a person just afraid of his secret being discovered, afraid of other people knowing what he does, and then his uniqueness is lost. Or whether somebody is actually concerned or afraid of being investigated, the bottom line is this. Here's a person who found an easy way to make a living, and it doesn't give him peace of mind. He's not relaxed. He's distrustful. He thinks people want to be friendly because they're after his money, or his success, or his secrets. And as such, his relationships are attenuated. He distances himself from others, and he doesn't get the advice that he needs. Now, I think the first approach has a virtue in that it's applicable really uh, broadly. 
even if the activity is not even questionable in any way, shape, or form, you could still understand that somebody would be afraid of other people learning his secret. Those are his trade secrets. This is his way to turn a quick buck. Conversely, it would seem to me that the words or approach of the Neder Bar-Kodesh Shel Tov is more faithful to the language that's used in the actual Shara B'Tochen, namely, Meyirato al-Nafsho, which translates literally as afraid for his very life. The contrast. Vahaboteach be'elokim. But the person who has achieved the ability to place his trust in Hashem fully, as we've spoken about so many times in the previous episodes. Eneno yore mishum adam bibitchono. He has nothing to worry about insofar as his trust is concerned. So what does that mean? If, uh, if you're following along in the Kiat version, we're on page 18 now. He translates that as he who trusts in God is not afraid of telling anyone about his trust. That's an interesting way to look at it. I think he may be onto something. Certainly some of the commentaries see it that way. The point would be this. You see this fellow who is like really calm. He has no worries, no anxieties. He says, I, mean, I, I noticed that you're very relaxed. What's your secret? And the alchemist doesn't want to tell you. But the person whose secret is faith, the person who is calm and relaxed because he has developed the ability to trust Hashem, is happy to share that. He says, I'm absolutely relaxed. I don't have a worry in the world. Why? Or, how'd you do that? His answer? Betachen. You should try it too. He's got nothing to hide. The person who has betachen wants everybody else to have betachen. Don't worry. Hashem has the ability to provide for all of us. It's not as if, if you keep the field of betachen small, then God is able to kind of look after things. But if you make too large of a market share, oy vey, maybe there'll be too much competition. God won't be able to take care of all the people who trust. Too many people trust in Him? Seriously. <laughs> That's ridiculous. If you trust in Hashem. Because Hashem is the zonum of fairness, because the Almighty has the ability, omnipotent ability, to provide for us in every which way, shape, or form, under all and any circumstances. As we've already illustrated numerous times, you're not afraid of other people trusting in Hashem. On the contrary, you want people to know about this. You're proud of it, and you want to share it with them too. You know, interestingly, the Rambam, Maimonides, when he talks about the mitzvah of Ahavat Hashem, which is the fourth of the positive mitzvahs in his system, he says that the person who loves Hashem, who really loves God, will invariably be impelled to share that with others because if you love something very much, you want that entity be loved, be beloved by all. You love your spouse, you want your spouse to look good. 
you love your children, your grandchildren, you want them to be beloved. It hurts you if your child is being bullied or is unpopular. It hurts you when people say disparaging things about your spouse. Or it should. If you love somebody, you want them to look good. And as such, if you love Hashem, Rambam says, then you want Hashem to be loved by all. Perhaps this is a similar notion, a similar ideal being expressed here when Rabbeinu Bachaya says, the person who has trust in Hashem, he's not trying to conceal his secret, he wants to share his secret. He's, word boasts is a bit of a strong word. He's, he glorifies himself. He's delighted. He basks in his faith, in his trust. He's happy to share it. He trumpets it out. I have faith. I have trust. I'm not ashamed. You should too. I read a beautiful story many years ago. It was actually, I read this as a child. But it left such an impact on me that I still remember it. And I've, I've shared it on occasion. I want to share it with you now. I think it was in a Reader's Digest condensed of something, something of the sort. This is a long time ago. And, and it's about love, true love. So in the story, there's this um, house of worship, an un-Jewish house of worship, and they have what's called a potluck dinner. And everybody brings something to the potluck dinner for this house of worship. And there's a woman who bakes a pumpkin pie. And the pie burns. And it's time to go. And there's no time to make anything else. And she's terribly embarrassed. She has a bird pie. But you have to show up with something and there's no time left. So they show up with their burnt pumpkin pie, which is really, it's burnt. It doesn't taste good. And her husband announces at the end of the meal, I know I seem, it'll seem like a glutton, but the dessert my wife made is my favorite dessert. So I'm just going to eat the whole pie. And, but I'm not going to take any of your food. So, so uh, you'll forgive me. I can't control me. i got to finish this whole pie. And he actually wolfs down this burnt pie that tastes terrible so that nobody should know that his wife burnt the pie. And that's how they illustrate the meaning of true love. I was very much taken by the story. It doesn't matter you know, where the story is from, what the origin is, or it's even if it's true or not. That's a beautiful point. If you love your spouse, you want your spouse to look good. You'd rather look bad yourself, for such is the meaning of true love. True love is selfless. If you trust in Hashem, trust in Hashem is a, a development of faith, an internalization of your faith. Clearly you love Hashem. Why wouldn't you want to tell everybody about that? A person who really trusts in Hashem is a person who really loves Hashem. And a person like that would be delighted if other people would adopt the same level of trust, faithfulness, and commitment. And so Rabbeinu Bechaya says, the person who trusts Hashem, whom is spoiled Not because it says it in a verse, because that's a fact. Rabbeinu Bechaya understands the nature of trust and the nature of of trust is such that the one who possesses it is proud of it. And he talks about it and shares it with others. And he's not ashamed or afraid. 
because he trusts Hashem. However, it is fascinating that this is something that David, King David, actually says, David HaMelech says in the book of Tilm Kamesha, Omar David HaMelech Olav HaShalom. And I want to take a moment to point something out to you. Previously, we have quoted multiple verses. Rabbeinu Bachaya didn't say, as Isaiah said, as Jeremiah said, as King Solomon said, or as King David said. Although there have already been copious quotes from the book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, and the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And yet, here, Rabbeinu Bachaya says, as David HaMelech said, why does he suddenly include David HaMelech and add the words, peace be upon him? I don't know with certainty, but here's my sneaking suspicion. I think that the statement Rabbeinu Bachayas made doesn't actually have to be cross-referenced per se. It doesn't need to be proven to be so. We don't have to say we know it's so because God says it's so. Or a prophet who has higher intuition told us about it. He knows it because that's the nature of trust. How interesting is it that David HaMelech actually expressed himself that way? It's almost like this is fascinating. This is so interesting. This commonly understood or commonly accepted rational reality is actually something King David spoke of. And the interesting thing is that, as I'm going to show you, the verse that he's going to quote is repeated almost verbatim twice in the very same psalm, and he chooses to mention the second reference, not the first. And that has a lot to do with the particulars of that precise situation. In other words, although David HaMelech spoke the words of Tehillim, or sang or chanted the words of Tehillim on behalf of every member of Am Yisrael. And although, as the Talmud tells us, each and every one of us confined himself or confined his or her voice in the voice, in the articulation of King David, this is a little bit David-specific or situationally specific. Because when we'll understand the situation David HaMelech was in the first time, and then look at the situation he was in the second time, because this psalm comprises his exclamation or proclamation of faith and trust twice, you'll appreciate how far David HaMelech took it. And it will give us a new understanding, a new value of the virtue pure, absolute, total trust in Hashem and the loss of fear, anxiety, and worry that comes along with it. So what did David HaMelech say? In Psalm 56, the 12th verse, which is just two verses before the end of the psalm, David HaMelech says, and I quote, Be'eloikim botachti I have trusted, trusted in God. The word betochen shows up many, many, many times in the book of Tehillim. David HaMelech was a man of marvelous faith and trust in Hashem. 
Be'elikim batachti. I trusted Hashem. Loi ira mayasa adamli. And therefore have no fear of what people might want to do to me. People's designs don't frighten me. I have no fear of people. Very much not like the alchemist, who's extremely fearful of people. The person of faith has no fear of others. In fact, it would be a mirror image, the polar opposite. Let's take a look at this verse before we continue. Because uh, in our fantastic fear of everything, <laughs> we're going to be talking about some of the other fears that the alchemist has to deal with. But first, I want to focus on this verse, which kind of brings that third contrast to an end before we go into the fourth contrast in which Rabbeinu Bechayel will further illustrate and develop as he, the, he sketches the profile of this really fearful fellow. So, I want to begin by sharing with you the words of the Radak. Rabbeinu David Kimchi is one of the foremost commentaries, 13th century commentary on the scriptures. He says the following. Listen carefully. Because I had betochen, because I had trust in Hashem. That's why I have nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. I'm not afraid of people. Why not? Do you know what people can do to you? They can ruin you. They can cause you tremendous angst and frustration and pain and setbacks. David Amal is not afraid of them. Why not? Because he has betochen. That's why not. He's not just not afraid to share that he has betochen. He's not afraid of being harmed because of the betochen. In other words, this follows very much along the well-worn path that we've already developed. Betochen itself becomes the envelope for actualizing Hashem's blessings, salvation, and protection. The betochen itself, the trust itself, the security and surety in God itself is what brings you Hashem's help. Because I trusted. That's why. Why? They can't harm me. Why not? Because I trust in Hashem. And because I trust in Hashem, I'm shielded. Do you remember the words that we studied together from Maimonides' book? Mora Nevuchim, the guide to the perplexed, where the Rambam illustrates the power of the human mind, and he says that that is the nexus, the force by virtue of which we can get on God's network. And he says if a person is mindful of God, if a person is living with a sense of absolute focus, cerebral focus, mental focus, which we explained really is ultimately betochen, when it filters into the emotions. When that's the kind of mindfulness or consciousness or emotional attitude you have, Rambam says it's impossible for anybody to touch you. You're shielded, you're protected. Isn't this what Radak is telling us? In other words, Rabbeinu B'chaya, he doesn't just quote a verse 
this verse is all about betachem. The words of Rabbeinu Bachaya, the similar teaching are found uh, of uh, Rabbeinu David Kimchi of Radak, are also found in the manuscripts and commentaries of the Rebbe, the teacher of the Abar Benel, Rabbeinu Yosef, who said, Ka'asher yiru When they will see that I have placed trust in you, once that happens, he says, so la yuchlu Rabbi. It's not possible for them, says Rabbeinu Yosef Chiyun, for them to do anything to me. So if I stand in the face of a person who threatens me, and I'm really calm, I'm really, really relaxed, and I say to him, I'm not afraid of you. And he bellows, why not? And I say, because I have trust in Hashem the master of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth who is continuously engaged and involved with his creation, and I trust Hashem, and I'm not afraid of you. I won't lose by doing that. If it's stated simply, sincerely, and humbly, but truly, you have nothing to fear. Imagine that. Imagine being able to develop that kind of inner calm and tranquility, that kind of peace, to be able to stare your enemy in the face and say, I'm not afraid of you. So how does this work? <laughs> the Tehillah Hashem says, Kivan sheyesh bi midata bitachon, because I have this characteristic of trust, a measure of bitachon and Hashem, lo I'm not afraid of what people might do to me. The Tehillah Hashem cross-references this with the 27th Psalm, in which David HaMelech, King David, states, Hashem Ori V'yishi, God is my light and my salvation. Lo ira, I therefore have no fear. Hashem is Ma'oiz Chai, Hashem is the strength of my life, the rock of my existence, if you will. And then, the psalmist goes on to say, When they rise their we- raise their weapons and declare war on me, In this I trust. What is this? Says the Tehillah Hashem, This trust. I trust in the trust. I trust in Hashem. I trust that trust in Hashem is powerful enough to connect me to the Creator and to shield me from any harm. I am sure, I am certain that I will be victorious. The Shari Chaim adds another layer of insight. He says, Zo Mida keneged mida. This would be, in the euphemistic expression, a measure for a measure or responsive. There's a certain equilibrium, a certain balance, a certain parallel response. Adam hasam al Hashem a person 
who places his trust in Hashem for real. He elicits a like response. Yishalem le Hashem. Hashem immediately remunerates. Back at you. Shalayipol biadadam. Do you understand the power of that statement? You got to believe this. It's not easy. There's no question that some of the greatest believers, the biggest Bali Betochen in history, were sorely tested and perhaps came to the brink. But the person of Betochen doesn't lose it. He places absolute trust in Hashem Yisbarach. So what if it doesn't go right? <laughs> like, we talked about this yesterday. The Tefillah Moshe says something very interesting, he says. He says, even if this person chooses to try and harm me, If he will do evil to me, Yetzim is a raktoiv. I know only goodness will come of it. I'm not upset. I'm not afraid. I simply pick up the pieces. This is the meaning. I'll tell you a little personal story. It's got a lot to do with the present uh, broadcast. Somebody wrote an article a little more than a year ago. And because of some information that was mentioned in the article, an erstwhile relative who had lost connection with this person that he was warring with, so he contacted me. And he began to threaten me. And he began to make death threats against certain members, extended members of that person's circle. I said to this person who was in another country, I said, according to Canadian law, you can be arrested for making a death threat. You just threatened somebody's life. He said, and if I did? I said, you did. He said, of course I did. I said, I'm going to hang up and I'm calling the police. I said, in fact, I am legally obligated to call the police. So he began to threaten me. And I hung up the telephone and I called the police. And because of my involvement with the police, I knew exactly who to speak to right away. And I filed a report. And whatever was taken care of. But a funny thing happened that evening. I used to be streaming my classes on Facebook every day. And I tried to stream live on Facebook, and Facebook had shut me down. Now, the timing is, uh, was too providential. It didn't just happen. I'm not, I'm not that much of a controversial figure. I avoid issues that are not related to Torah altogether these days. I'm pretty sure that this person reported me for, you can report somebody for anything, but they put me in Facebook jail. 
I have no idea what he said. Or when I when I contacted Facebook, I was told that there's you're under investigation. I was very offended and very upset. And I said to myself, one second. Breathe easy. Who needs Facebook? I'm going to go to YouTube. Now. An old colleague of mine had been taking some of the classes from Facebook and putting them onto YouTube. So he actually already opened a YouTube account and I found out that I needed to have a certain amount of subscribers in order to be able to broadcast. And I have a son who's gifted, who was home at the time. And it didn't take long for us to figure out what software to download. And the rest is history, Baruch Hashem. Now I've returned to stream on Facebook as well, and we have software, and I can do stream on multiple platforms. But the opportunity of teaching Torah on my own channel has actually been the greatest gift. And it's such an important lesson, a lesson for me, where somebody tried to harm you, and they ended up doing me the biggest favor. Put your trust in Hashem. Here's a person who harmed me. On the surface, he shut down my ability to teach Torah. Not really, because one door closed and two more opened. Maybe it's a silly story. Maybe it's not really harm. Maybe it's not really important. All I can say to you, for me, for better or for worse, it was important at the time. And it's important to me now to have this opportunity to teach you Torah. The point? The point is that nobody can harm you. Nobody in the world can do anything to you that Hashem doesn't want to happen. And even if they harm you, Hashem makes it good. If you have betochen. Your betochen is key. My dear friends, the lesson that we are learning again and again on these pages is the incredible power that's vested in trust. You can make miracles happen. You need to trust. Clearly, Hashem wants us to live without anxiety. Clearly, He wants us to live without worries. Despite the fact that we are wired to be anxious and to worry and have concerns, Hashem wants us to overcome that. That's a critical component in our avodat Hashem. Overcome the fears. Overcome the concerns. Trust in Hashem. So this is the first detail about this verse in which he says, Kamisha Omer David HaMelech, it's not a proof. This is how David HaMelech lived. And it's self-understood that a person who trusts in Hashem is not afraid to talk about his trust, not afraid to share that trust with others, and he will not lose anything by doing so. In fact, it's being so solid in your faith and trust that will actually earn you the blessing and shield you from harm. Now, I mentioned that it seems to me that Rabbeinu Bechaya's evoking of David HaMelech's name in this unusual way points a finger to the specifics of the circumstance or situation. So that takes me into the next, the next detail or the next point about this verse. As mentioned, this verse shows up almost verbatim twice in the same psalm. Verse 12 is, I trust in Hashem, and as such, I have no fear of what a person will do to me. 
That's the verse Rebbeinu Bechaya quotes. But interestingly, the same sentiment shows up in verse 5. And there, verse 5, the latter half reads, Be'elikim batachti la'ira. I place my trust in Hashem. I am not afraid. That's verbatim. Same words. Mayase, Same words. In verse 5 it says, Mayase basar. What flesh will do to me. And here it says what a person will do to me. But is a person not flesh? A person is called a basar v'dam. Why is there an emphasis on a person, on an odom, the second time around, rather than flesh the first time around? So Rabbeinu Moshe Alshech, the great 16th century commentator, in his, in his writings on Tehillim, known as Remi Moskel, he asked this very question. He asks on verse 12, did King David not say this just a few verses ago? And he says that there were two episodes in the life of David HaMelech. And in each of these episodes, King David expressed his trust in Hashem and as such his lack of fear. The first was with Achish. Now Achish is what we would call, these are the people of Gath. Anche Gath, Philistines that sought to harm David HaMelech. And David HaMelech prayed. The second time around, David HaMelech was praying to be saved from King Saul, who is called Adam. Not just flesh, but a person. The word Odom is synonymous with the idea of Adame. That means in the image of. A fully developed human being in the image of God. Rabbeinu Meisha Alshech says, Mayase Basar Li Shehu Achish. You know, when you call somebody a piece of meat, it's generally not a compliment. You probably aren't talking about their unique mental capacity or emotional range. You're probably not talking about a person with extraordinary human characteristics. When people say, what am I, a piece of meat? It's like reducing a human being to a collection of Flesh, sinew, bone, and plasma. So Achish is a piece of meat. Achish doesn't have the Adame, the full likeness of Hashem. He has a very limited ability to actually choose freely. You see, freedom of choice is connected to mitzvot. None of the other things in life are really choices or free choices we make. These are all predestined. And in theory... Everything could be predicted. In theory, you could have predicted the color of my tie or the suit I would have worn today. Or what I did or didn't eat for breakfast. You can predict these things. 
And even though Heisenberg introduced the principle of uncertainty because of our inability to identify the precise location of the nuclei when something is in motion, that's because of a technical problem. Recent scientific breakthroughs, and I'm talking about the last couple of weeks, are suggesting that it may actually be possible to identify the precise location of the nuclei despite the fact that something is in motion. Now, Heisenberg's principle of uncertainty doesn't mean that anything is really uncertain. It just means it's uncertain to us. And in fact, we may have arrived. So everything is probable or predictable. You just have to have enough information. But there's one thing that's never predictable. And one thing that isn't predestined. That's whatever is connected to serving Hashem. As the Gemara says, Hakol Everything is ordained from a higher place, chutz with one exception. Anything related to Yirat Shamayim. Anything that's connected to our mission, to our mandate as human beings to express our awe and our reverence, to develop the respectful relationship with Hashem that each of us is called to. Achish, piece of meat, had a few mitzvahs. His freedom of choice was extremely limited. Theologically, David Melech could easily reason that he didn't have to fear Achish because Achish was really being guided and controlled. But he says, Shola Melech, Achish Hanikrobosor, Vele Odom. Achish is called a piece of meat. Not a human, not a mensch, not a dame in the image. Okay, Anibateach. But Shol? King Saul? Meshich Vevamaila Govoya? A person who was proverbially head and shoulders above, a man of extraordinary spiritual stature and capacity? David Amel says, yes. But Saul can choose to harm you. Yes, he can. That doesn't mean the harm will be inflicted, though. He made a bad choice. Hashem can't take the choice away from him. However, it doesn't mean you'll be harmed. A simple example. Moses the great master of all prophets, the most perfect specimen of humanity. The first time we're introduced to him, he's a person of great compassion, a person of great sensitivity. He wants to see how his brethren are. And he sees a man who's tormenting a Hebrew. Nobody cares. No justice. Moses carries out an act of vigilante justice and removes the perpetrator. And then the next day he comes out and he sees two of his own fellow Hebrews, his brethren, and they're fighting. Very famous people. Datan and Aviram. And Moshe Rabbeinu turns around and he says, Rosha, wicked person. Why would you hit your fellow? But he didn't hit him. He just raised a hand. So the famous question is, are you actually a Russia if you hit somebody? 
<laughs> Very interestingly, Rambam Maimonides in the book of mitzvahs where he talks about the prohibition of assaulting somebody violently, says we know that it's a sin, we know that it's wicked, we can see it from the words of Moses. And the Rebbe famously asked, one moment, he didn't hit him yet. A person who wants to eat not kosher food didn't do a sin yet. The Rebbe says he threw a punch. He raised his hand. A hand was given to us for us to give tzedakah, for us to embrace, for us to caress when appropriate, for us to share. A hand is given to do a mitzvah with. The hand can affix a mezuzah, the hand can wrap tefillin, the hand can kindle a Shabbat candle. The hand is a unique machine, a beautiful, beautiful sort of implement with which we can bring holiness into the world. Here a person made a fist and he used the hand that Hashem gave him for a nefarious purpose to assault somebody violently. So is it Russia. That itself is an act of rebellion against God. Can Saul rebel against God? Yes, he can. Will he be held accountable? Most certainly. But if Saul can choose to rebel against God, does it mean that King David's a cooked goose? Because after all, Saul can choose to harm him. What if he chooses the wrong thing? What if he harms David Melech? So it's not David Melech's fault and David Melech is busy trusting in God, but Saul chose otherwise. And God is not going to stop Shaul from choosing because God doesn't control those things. Not that he can't, he doesn't want to. God legislates in Yonim things of Yerushalayim to us. He says, if this is connected to the fear of heaven, you make the choice. That you manufacture righteousness. In that case, how could David be so certain? So the Alshech says, that is precisely the point of verse 12. In verse 5, he speaks of Achish, who has a very limited scope of the freedom to choose. Even even though King Saul has a much wider range of choice, and even though he is by far superlative in stature, I trust in Hashem. I do not fear what a person says he or she will do to me. Show, show. This is Saul. He's an exalted member of Am Yisrael. He is really called Adam. The one who can save me from that piece of meat, Achish, because I trusted by virtue, by dint of my trust in Hashem, I will be shielded from that person who has all of that freedom to choose. He is, if you will, in the image of God, and yet my betochen will protect me. So that is to say, that we can see that when it comes to the notion of betochen, that betochen has the ability to protect us even when somebody is able to make the free choice. Our rabbis point out that the word used in both of these examples is elikim. Elikim, that is the divine name of judgment. And yet, the psalmist says, I trust even Hashem's attribute of judgment. 
I will not be destroyed. What harm can it do to me? And the point then is that even when your enemy is an Adam, which means an intellectual creature with a full range of the freedom to choose, David HaMelech says, I trust, I do not fear, no harm will come to me. And as the Tefillah Lamaisha said, ultimately it'll be for my good. It is interesting that the Alter Rebbe, in the fourth section of Tanya, which is called the Geras HaKedosh, the letters, the pastoral letters that the Alter Rebbe wrote, which are filled with incredibly profound Torah teachings, much of which cross-references the ideas that I talked about in the earlier sections of Tanya. The Alter Rebbe says that if somebody truly believed that everything is from Hashem, he would never get angry at all. That's why it says, Kol You got angry? It's like worshipping an idol. Hey, worshipping an idol, that's, that's bad. You just got angry. Indeed. You got angry because a person did such and such? Do you believe that a person can do something to you that Hashem didn't ordain? It doesn't matter what that person tried or wanted to do. If Hashem didn't want it to happen to you, it wouldn't happen anyway. That doesn't exonerate the person who made the wrong choice. They will pay fully. That's the notion of divine retribution and judgment. But as far as you and I are concerned, nobody can do anything to us that wasn't supposed to happen regardless. In other words, even when a person, the Alter Rebbe says, who has Bechira Chavshis, who has a free will, even when that person curses us, or strikes us, or causes us financial loss, the fact remains that we have to believe that that loss was decreed from a higher place. It doesn't exonerate the perpetrator, but it does free us from the fears of others. And so, Rabbeinu B'chayah has sketched a beautiful, exquisite portrait of life free of fear. It doesn't come as a result of alchemy. It comes, it comes from full trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Incidentally, this very same idea that I found in the Al-Sheikh is also in the commentary known as Chazetzi, and he puts it slightly differently. And he says that in the end, Kol Masha'ira, all the things that happened to David with Shaul and those like Shaul, in the end, was nothing that could really harm him because he trusted in Hashem. And that provides him with the greatest of shields that one could ever hope for. So it's pretty clear that if you're going to be trusting HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you have nothing to fear at all. But if you're just an alchemist, you just have a magic way to make a living, you'll have lots of fears and anxieties. As Rabbeinu B'chaya now continues, V'horavi moving into the fourth arena. Because the alchemist can't escape. You can run, but you can't hide. 
he's going to end up in a paradoxical pickle. He can't escape the problem that Rabbi Nechai is now going to illustrate. What's the problem? By the way, the word nimlat, interesting word. I don't know, he doesn't even choose to translate it. I'm not sure why. He just uh, glosses over it. But, but the word nimlat means uh, to escape. On page 18, he says, Eini nimlat cannot avoid or can't get away from mehazmin mehazova kesef harbe le'esorche. He cannot avoid the notion of preparing an abundance of raw materials, in this case, gold and silver, for the time that he's going to need it. Or, on the contrary, if he might not prepare anything, just have what he needs for now. What's Rebbein Mechai getting at here? The Pas Lechem says this, any nimlet you can't escape means kilomer. Any nimlet me'achas elo. You're always going to be in one or the other. You either have too much raw material or too little raw material. Im yasmin. If you have too much, you're afraid of losing it. If you don't have enough, you lose opportunities. So you're ever kind of trying to walk this tightrope of having just enough material, but not too much material. Not a surplus that weighs you down and you can't get rid of, but at the same time, not being missing the materials, the ingredients at the time you need them. And he said, this is the worry that always follows him around. In the words of the Toiv Halavone, he says, and he uses a Gemara expression here. So what do you want? How do you want it? This away or that away? You're never going to get away. He says, or you have too much. Or you have too or you don't have enough, or you have no surplus. Either way, this person will not find peace of mind. He will never be complacent. He'll never be relaxed because he doesn't know what tomorrow brings. He's not sure to have too much or maybe end up with too little or nothing. So I know what you're thinking. You're saying, so just have, have extra. What's the problem? <laughs> so the Marpel and Nefesh says, the problem is you're not going to escape the situation one or the other. In either situation, you're going to have anxiety. Why? The Bechaya spells it out. A fantastic fear of everything. He says, if you only have yeah, no surplus, no extra materials, but what is enough for a short amount of time, then you might not have when you need it. Oh, so then... Order up the materials. He says, If you're going to have too much, then he's afraid for his life again. Afraid for his life? What's he afraid for his life for? That it doesn't get lost in the way that, you know, stuff gets lost. How does <laughs> stuff get lost? It doesn't happen by itself. Stuff gets lost, says the Nehdeber Kodesh, when it's stolen from you, or it gets damaged or burnt or destroyed. Everybody I know has fire insurance. Everybody I know has theft insurance. Why? Because stuff happens. Nobody gets hit by lightning, except the guy who does. 
Can you ever be sure? I knew an actual story of a person who had one hour without insurance. One hour. Because it was either going to be a 30-day overlap or one hour. And the person was trembling that entire hour lest something go wrong in that hour. He would have been lost, a ruined man. So this is the anxiety. Having too much material, it's not a good idea. His heart is not going to be tranquil. His soul will not, so to speak, be rest. He will not be calm. He's not going to be relaxed. Why? Because me pachte a love from the fear of others. From government and they the people. What's the fear of government and they the people? Well, here the Pas Lechem follows the same road that he began to pave earlier. He said, remember, there's a little bit of uh, illegal activity going on here. Or at least questionable activity. So he says, the king may sequester. The king may simply grab the materials under some trumped-up charge. Or even a somewhat legitimate charge. The monarchy can do that. People, the people can just steal it. So people are worried. You have valuable raw material, which can become more valuable, but in the meantime, it's now exposed. You're on the line. And because you're in danger of losing, you're anxious. You don't like the alchemist. Think of the person who invests in stocks. Do you ever have a calm day? What if the market crashes? What if the market swings? Oh, you're invested in real estate. What if the bank suddenly called the loans? What if you're overextended? Every business, every vocation, every career path has its anxieties and its fears. Natural, normal, predictable fears or anxieties, reasonable fears and anxieties. And there is no vocation in which there is never anything to worry about. And as such, this is not a person who has achieved inner peace. It's not a person who has inner tranquility. Imla Yasmin says, well, it's so worrisome to have, so I better not have. Imla Yasmin, he says, just enough to tide me over for a short amount of time. Then in that case, maybe you won't be able to produce a business person's biggest fear. An opportunity will knock and you can't answer the door. You don't have what it takes to produce the material. And so, Be'ez HaTzerich HaGodle love when he has a great need, and that's Mepnei Himona Siba Misibaisav Mimenu, because you have a lack of necessary materials. 
as the Pas Lechem points out, what's the Siba, what's the reason here? He says the reason we speak of here is the Choymer HaNitzrach, is the required bullion or raw material that is now missing. And as such, because you are, proverbially speaking, missing the raw material, or as the Neder Bakaydish points out, there could be other things that refrain or restrain a person from realizing their aspirations. So this person who we thought has got it made, he actually is filled with anxiety and worry. There's one person who has no worries, one person who has no anxieties, and he doesn't have to keep it a secret. That is the person who has betochen. My dear friends, that can be you and me. We can do this because Hashem gave us a mitzvah. And with that instruction or commandment, comes the ability it's not easy but we can do it the harder we work on our betochen the more we rely on Hashem Yisbarach the more calm and relaxed we'll be the less stress in life we'll experience and the larger the volume of Hashem's protection, deliverance and salvation I hope you found this inspirational and uplifting Tomorrow we'll continue and talk about the presence and power of Hashem which is at land, sea, and in the ground. For wherever we turn, our shield and our protection is ever there with us. Thanks for joining. Have a beautiful day. And I look forward, Bezrat Hashem, to being able to continue to meet and study Torah together.